Hello everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Real Life Oscar Challenge, where we were watching every movie nominated for Best Picture of our lifetimes. Yeah! As Woo! always, I'm one of your hosts, Mike Levito. I'm Lars Emerson. I'm Kathleen Levito. And here we're here to do another episode. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, the year was 2010. It was the year of a very big win in the House of Representatives for the Republicans. It was the year of swine flu. It was the year of the Haiti earthquake. Which, by the way, I was vaccinated for. I probably was, too. I got it. I died. (laughs) (laughs) But most importantly, I don't know how Babe feared, though. Fared, though. Uh, (laughs) Poor Babe. Poor Babe. But most importantly... I turned 16, Lars turned 15, and Kathleen turned 14. That is definitely the most important thing. (laughs) It is. And 10 movies were nominated for Best Picture. And they were 127 Hours, Black Swan, The Fighter, Inception, The Kids Are Alright, The King's Speech, The Social Network, Toy Story 3, True Grit, and Winter's Bone. And, again, because it's the year where there were ten nominees instead of five, you're only talking about the first five alphabetical films uh, this year, because we'd go crazy otherwise. And those are 127 Hours, Black Swan, The Fighter, Inception, and The Kids Are All Right. Um, so, want to just jump right into it? Let's do it. Okay, let's kick things off with 127 Hours. Numbers come before letters all the time. Uh, directed by Danny Boyle, <laughs> written by Danny Boyle and Simon Beaufoy. Based on the book Between a Rock and a Hard Place by Aaron Ralston, starring James Franco, Kate Mara, and Amber Tamblin. Uh, 127 Hours is a pretty simple movie story-wise. It's about Aaron Ralston, a hiker, mountaineer, explorer dude who goes out in Utah, doesn't tell anyone where he's going. Uh, It's jumping around some mountains, uh, screws, like, knocks a rock, boulder loose, um, and it falls on his arm. And he has to make a decision over the course of, like, five days while he's trapped underneath a rock whether or not to cut off his own arm so he can escape. Uh, Which he does. Which he does. (laughs) Kathleen, you really, really like this movie. (laughs) That's an understatement, Michael. Um, I just like this movie. I just liked it. Um, And most looks I just did not find it compelling whatsoever. And it was just, like... I was just, like... Okay, so... I was telling... Michael and Lars, as we were watching, that I think I saw the part of this movie where he cuts his arm off because I was in, like, an eighth grade biology class, and they're like, this is what tissue and sinew and stuff looks like. And so, obviously, I know it's coming. Also, anyone who knows the story knows it's coming. And I just felt like it was a long time to wait for that. Like, the rest of the movie just was not interesting i didn't feel like he was an interesting character i don't feel like they really gave background on him really well like throughout the movie he like starts hallucinating and you like learn bits and pieces about his life and his relationship through his hallucinations and the kind of person he is and i just feel like he doesn't really learn anything especially if you read about him after watching the movie like it's kind of clear that he doesn't really learn anything not to like judge his personality what do you mean? he 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 told now he tells everybody where he goes but he also just seems like a pompous ass he's married and has children now well he got divorced, he got divorced. and then was arrested for like domestic abuse oh but they you were, were here but, like for this. both he right. and his girlfriend were arrested for domestically abusing each other and then the charges were dropped um 
it's the whole thing. I don't know. I just feel like we would not get along in person, which is not to say that shouldn't that shouldn't change my opinion of the movie. I just I wasn't interested like at all. I was just like cut off your damn fucking arm already. I just didn't. I just didn't think it was interesting, and I think I was more frustrated with the fact that like he didn't tell anyone where he was going, like more than anything else. <laughs> like, and I just when he was hallucinating, it just wasn't. I just wasn't compelling to me. I have never like probably rooted against a protagonist more. It's like I just I like he's such an idiot. Um and I like really I was definitely rooting for the rock, the weather, the the nature, the family that find like I just wanted everyone to succeed except him. Mm-hmm. Um I had never seen this before. Um my parents have like yelled at me about this guy how dumb he was cuz he has like loose connections to Boulder or something. This was like big news. I remember this being big news. Um and yeah, I just went into it. It's like, oh, this is a dumb guy. But like, I actually think the movie's really good. It is. Um, I think the cinematography is like actually awesome. It yeah. reminds me a lot. I feel like you and I were talking about this uh, of like Breaking Bad. Yeah. Um, the way it focuses on like mundane everyday objects. Right. Um, and like the Southwest. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's it. Obviously. Um, I agree with Kathleen that the like um, vision sequences are kind of. Like, I'm not sure I love those. Yeah. I'm not sure I hate them. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't think they add anything. They're clearly supposed to add us rooting for him, but I was not rooting for him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's supposed to give us, like, context to, like, his relationship and, like, maybe why. It's, like, there's, it's basically, there are these flashbacks that involve, like, an ex-girlfriend. Yeah. But they never really explain a lot about it outside yeah. that, like, he, he misses her and they're, like, clearly not together anymore. And he's sort of, like... Imagines getting free and then like running to her house in the rain and like seeing her and then she's like close the door on him But like I never never really unpacked that I find no. yeah the, Yeah um, But, but you know, like all these images of him sitting on a couch Because it isn't supposed to be like the couch in his parents Because it, you know, it's like he's imagining like a family photo he took right? Yeah um, Like maybe it's supposed to be like what matters to you when you think you're gonna die. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm just not really sure that ever Lands maybe because we don't we know he's not going to die. We yeah, know what happens, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and, but I don't think that's to this film's. I think that's why the dream sequences maybe to its discredit, but why the film is not it, like knowing he's not going to die and what happens actually kind of works. Yeah, um, is they. <laughs> would you describe this as a biopic? Maybe a little bit, right? I, um, I mean, I don't know. It's not like. I don't it, think I would. No. But it's more like if it was like a book, it'd be a memoir, not a yeah. biography. It, so it's sort of. We have a friend who watches Lincoln every six months. <laughs> uh, and I was thinking about this. Um, you guys do. Chris. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it kind of reminded me of like how Lincoln handles a biopic. It's like, we're going to take this very few weeks of his life. And that is what, that's how you're going to get this character. Which is, in my opinion, what the best biopics are. (laughs) Yeah, I don't understand why it sounds like you're talking about, like, a cyborg or something. I I know, I I think I'm just stupid. Um, I mean, if it's spelled, I I get why people say it, I also just think it's wrong. Okay, whatever. Biopic. Biographical Um, picture. Okay. (laughs) Graphic novel. Okay. Um, But yeah, that's that's where, I I think it's good. I, I, my feelings on this are like a net good. Yeah, yeah, it's really creative. You know, they're they the like Danny Boyle and Co. 
by the way, Simon Beaufoy, the co-writer on this, also wrote The Full Monty. Um, but they kind of paint themselves into a corner because, you know, they have to focus on the dude who's stuck in a place for, like, five days or whatever. Yeah. Yes, Kathleen? Okay, this is what I think would make the difference for me. If we saw what happened after he was found and, like, went to the hospital and how his mindset was changed or he, how he talked about that experience to other people, I think that's, like, would have made all of this, like, all of the like flashbacky things and visions like worth something because you would get to see if it changed his character you are like we're completely cut off from knowing like what happens afterwards and if that actually influenced any part of his life yeah i, I think that's the the worst parts of the movie are like the bookends where yeah. it's like the begin it just like the beginning's really weird where it was like these shots of like busy city streets yeah, and I like highways that. but also like him waking up and like there's, like, an answering machine on the phone from his mom that he ignores. He doesn't tell her where she's going. Like, it sets those, like, seeds, but also just, like, doesn't really add much. And then, like, in the end, where it's, like, like him getting out of the, the like, crevice and, like, meeting those people. Like, that's that's kind of well done. But, like, but then when it's the thing where just, like, he's at, like, a press conference. And everyone's, like, taking his pictures, kind of, like, staring, like, in amazement. It's, like, kind of cheesy. Yeah. And he's like, jumps in the pool. And he, they show, like, the actual dude and his wife and kid and... You know, it's a little. Uh, I feel like you could have done all that in the credits. Exactly. Is actually, yeah, what yeah. I would have done um, <laughs> if I were the director. Like, it seems like they really they had a lot of ideas for what to do when he's actually trapped, which is obviously the most important part of the movie, right? Um, and not a lot to do. Like, you know, it's 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 a really good experiment of like, what do we do? We can when we can only show so much, and they do it well. Um, yeah, I like, agree. Him being stuck yeah. there in one spot for most of the movie, it's actually done really well. It's yeah. never like boring. It's like a twelve angry men situation. Yeah, I've yeah. Never it's, seen that movie. it's like a bottle movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's also short. They don't drag it out. Right. It's actually right. It like yeah. My, my props. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good job. But yeah, you can tell like <laughs> there's like goes to the flashback where it's like he has like the camcorder when he's a kid and he's filming his sister playing the piano and like his parents are like so what he's filming there is showing up there and they're like pointing at like the TV and it's like very clearly like very underwritten but. I don't know. They're like cutting his arm off is like. I talked last episode. I think Precious is the most uncomfortable I've ever been watching a movie. Um, I think the most I've like physically sort of like felt pain watching a movie is when he's cutting his arm off. It's like so. I was reading about this. They had actually like build like a fake arm to do this song, which makes sense in hindsight. They had to build like an entire like anatomically like, basically anatomically correct like fake arm that he could like cut while he's doing it, and so he and. And, it, like, some of his reactions are, like, real, because he's, like, cutting into, like, a very lifelike arm. And, like, the the jolts of, like, electric noise whenever he, like, hits, like, a tendon or whatever. It's I gnarly. I have to say, like, I, scre- like, screamed watching yeah. this movie. Yeah. I was screaming. There, when this came out, there were people, like, fainting in movie theaters yeah. um, because of that. But it's well done. <laughs> it's uh, what you paid to see, goddammit. I think James Franco's <laughs> good in this. Um, and I think... Then, he, he plays douchebag very well. Yeah, yeah. You know, he does. And like when he's when he, when he like meets Kate Mara and Amber Tamblyn, it's just like you, we all know this dude who thinks they're just like the coolest person ever because they hike. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, I do think those scenes are handled really well, where it kind of like you know lets you see why he could be charismatic, but um, and like the, but the visuals of them like going in the pond, yeah, and like yeah, falling yeah. in the the. Like under Shaft. the pool, yeah, yeah. Um, no idea how they get back out. Yeah, yeah. No idea. And, <laughs> and also, like, I feel like that's 
I feel like there's like a under way. I hope so. <laughs> I mean, they get out. He also tries to later masturbate to that. Well, yeah, he nuts pretty hard. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. He, I, I was gonna bring that up, but I didn't want to because I thought you guys would. But you brought it up. Does he do that? No. He does doesn't. does he actually complete? I don't think he does. He's trying to think. He tries to. I don't. My guess is he's too dehydrated yeah. to actually do anything. Yeah. That seems like a stupid thing to do if you're trapped. Yeah. It's yeah. a huge waste of your energy. Yeah. yeah. I would agree. Busted not in the cave. <laughs> um, thank you for bringing that up. I had thoughts on that. <laughs> okay. It does seem like a huge waste of energy. He's definitely too hydrated, dehydrated to do it. Like, what if he's found in that moment? <laughs> exactly. It's like, hey, go also, away. Also, the other thing is, like, his camera lasts a really long time. Like, the battery on his camera lasts a really long time. But, like, I feel like technology used to... Like, Nokia phones used to last forever. That's true. Because, like, I feel like cameras used to last, like, days. Yeah, because like, I have, like, a Sony, like, camera that lasts, like, maybe two hours. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like now that everything's so advanced, it just lasts longer. Because it's, like, retaining memory and shit. Yeah. You mean shorter? Shorter. Or, yeah, less shorter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so then my other thing is, like, if he's recording, like, his kind of final words to his family on that camera... And if that's your goal to have that recording, why are you then like wasting battery by trying to masturbate? By, by none. By none. It's a fair question. Yeah. And that's the question I'd like to direct to. <laughs> come, come on the pod, Danny Boy. We have some questions for you. Um, okay, this movie did not win anything. It was nominated for editing uh, for original score, for best original song for If I Rise. Uh, adapted screenplay, James Franco's nominated for Best Actor. He also hosted the ceremony, what's considered one of the worst ceremonies ever as far as, like, the show goes. Really? And his hosting is often cited as one of the reasons why. Um, and Anne Hathaway, who he hosted with, kind of thrown under the bus years later. Uh, it was also, of course, nominated for Best Picture. Let's move on now to Black Swan, directed by Darren Aronofsky, written by Mike Heyman, Andres Hines, and John McLaughlin, story by Andres Hines. Starring Natalie Portman, Vincent Cassell, Mila Kunis, Barbara Hershey, and Winona Ryder. Black Swan is the story of Natalie Portman's character, whose name is Nina. She is a ballerina at some ballerina company, ballet company in New York. Um, and they this, this company is putting on a production of Swan Lake. And the director guy wants to cast one person as both the white swan and the black swan. Um, and he's kind of interested in Nina, and thing is, Nina's sort of like this this very sort of like, uh, I would say very sort of like girlish and um, sort of like, I guess, naive person, um, which works for the white swan, but not for the black swan, and she starts to have hallucinations um, of a, a body double. She starts to think Mila Kunis, uh, who's kind of her understudy, is like out to get her. She basically just kind of has a mental breakdown while she's trying to perfect this work. Um, I'll go first. I'd never seen this before. I'd never seen a Darren Aronofsky movie before, and I was prepared not to like it because in the book Meet Me in the Bathroom, it's an oral history of like the 2000s New York rock scene, and they all talk about how much they hated Darren Aronofsky as like a person. But I actually did really like this movie. Um, I think that it's very good at making you uncomfortable. <laughs> it it has a very like the the it, it's very like the way 
the camera just kind of like gets up in people's faces is very uncomfortable and unnerving. Um, it the the way the, the color palette's very sort of like video-y. Um, and I also just think it's just a really good examination on like the way on like perfectionism, but also I think the way that kind of like the entertainment industry just kind of like uses up and then discards women specifically. Like I think it's not an accident that Winona Ryder plays the sort of like apparently washed up but still masterful ballerina um, who gets kind of who's basically forced into retirement by the company and Natalie Portman's like the heir apparent because like that's kind of how like that mirrors like real life mm. where Winona Ryder was basically the Natalie Portman of like the mid 90s and then she got caught shoplifting everyone was kind of done with her oh I didn't know that was a thing yeah yeah and then Natalie Portman came up um, and this was kind of I guess like Natalie Portman's peak um and, you know, and then, like, the idea that Natalie Portman would also be looking over her shoulder at Mila Kunis while she's trying to, on, on the come up, uh, I just think it's really good, and it's kind of about, like, you know, what do you sacrifice to make perfect art? Um, and also just, like, it, my biggest fear is, like, unintentionally alienating somebody and, like, having somebody hate me for no good reason or, like, for misinterpreting my intentions, and that's kind of what Nina Abbott's seen this entire movie. So everyone th- everyone thinks that she thinks her shit doesn't stink because they just think she's, like, perfect. Or she they think she thinks she's perfect, and she's like, no, no, like, I swear I'm, I'm not. And that kind of leads to her decline. Um, well, they think she slept with the director, too. Yeah. yeah. Who's, like, a predatory creep. Because yeah, he was like... sleeping with Winona Ryder. Yeah. Um, and very clearly wants to sleep with Natalie Portman. Uh, yeah. And, and anybody else? You had also not seen this movie, Kathleen. Yeah, I hadn't seen this movie before. Let me think. It was kind of like harder to watch than I thought it would be. It's very. It is hard to watch. And I think like part of that is like, like I, I always say of like TV shows that BoJack Horseman is like the closest depiction I've ever seen in a television show or really any type of media to like what it's like to live with depression. And this one actually shows like it's definitely highly dram- dramatized, dramatized, dramatic. Major dramatized. Dramatized, thank you. Biopic. Um, <laughs> dramatized, like, what it's like to live as a perfectionist and to have, like, compulsive tendencies. Because you learn that, like, it's not like Nina was a healthy, perfect person and then, like, this getting this one role kind of, like, led to, like, dishealth. Like, you get hints early on that she had problems with, like, she would pick her skin and she would, like, pick her nails and, like, she kind of did, like, compulsive self-harm stuff. Um, so you just see how that, like, like, gets worse while, like, other things are going on in her life. Um, so that was, like, a difficult thing to watch. But, like, overall, I thought it was, like, a really pretty movie. I liked that it was, like, creepy and she had hallucinations, but they were never really, like... I was worried that they would be really, like, um, more, like, kind of Edgar Allan poe where things are really, like... I don't know why I said Edgar Allan Poe, but, um, like, very, like, um, like, hyper-real. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was, one, I was, like, scared that they were going to be really just kind of out there, and I'm trying to think of, like, a good example, but I can't think of one, but just really, like, like fast. The, the, there's, like, a Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro way to do this movie. I don't know well enough like to know. Like, Pan's Labyrinth. Oh, yes. Yes. Like that, but it's really just like, it's th- like it's played out where a lot of the, her like hallucinations look like they could be real. 
Yeah. And, like, they're dramatic. Like, she thinks she kills someone. Mm -hmm. But it looks real, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and so I was happy. Even, like, there's at one point where she's at the theater by herself at night. And she's, like, kind of seeing things. But, like, nothing's jumping out at her, which I yeah. thought was going to be the case. Like, things are going to be attacking her. But it's really just, like, oh, her thinking she's seeing people around the corner. I think the craziest thing is when she sees her mother's paintings of her talking to her. Mm -hmm. Um... She also, like, close things, she actually transforms into a giant swan. Yeah. That's kind of weird. I didn't like that. I forget yeah. about that because it that just felt like... Dumb. It felt, yeah, it felt out of place yeah, the rest yeah. of the movie. And it's just, like, the like the idea of a giant swan is more goofy than scary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... I, did you, I cut you off, too. I feel like that's kind of it. I think you could also see... I think that there's a lot of stuff going on in this movie, and I think it is also, like, a strange coming-of-age movie. Also, um, because she does start out as very naive, and then you see her start to like go through a teenage phase of rebelling against her mom, and then she goes through like a sexual awakening phase, and then she goes through like a death. So it is kind of like a coming of age. Spoiler movie. alert! Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, we've spoiled. This is a spoiler podcast. Spoiler podcast. <laughs> Movie's been out for ten years. Now. So it's like the death of her like childhood as well. Yeah. 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 Um. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I like how Nina is sort of trapped between the younger dancer Lily, uh, Mila Kunis, and Winona Ryder's Beth? Beth. Sure. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I think the, yeah, so she like lives with her like kind of overbearing, kind of scary mother who's like very obsessed with everything she does. She has to like physically block the door with like objects to keep her mother from like checking on her injuries or whatever. Um, and, like, initially she's, like, she's really good at being the white swan, right? But the director wants, like, he can't see her as the black swan. Um, and, like, it sort of, it, the film has, like, the progression of, like, as she becomes, like, she grows into, like, like her professional and, like, sexual own. Like, she then, like, she's, like, finally able to, like, become the black swan by... Um, yeah, stabbing herself in this, like, delusional, like, it's just, like, there's this, like, pain, delusional, mm -hmm. like, like, fanaticism dynamic kind of mm -hmm. at the end of the movie, and she, like, stabs herself, and she's finally able to become, like, this dark, intimidating black swan, and, like, fully emerge as, like, a sexual and professional, like, person mm -hmm. that's not controlled by, like, the people around her or, like, her mother. Um, I... Like, I, I think the main showcase of this movie is Natalie Portman and like yeah um I am of the opinion that Natalie Portman is like one of the greatest actresses of all time I cannot name many other movies besides this one that showcase it does that make Interest sense sure you think she's like underutilized I think she um I think because of this movie and this movie alone she's one of the greatest actresses of all time I don't think her like act acting is like <laughs> dropped out amazing in like Thor or like Star Wars mm. um, or like No Strings Attacked like I can't think of like another <laughs> movie that like Natalie Portman is just like dropped out amazing in but mm. she is like so palpable in this and in like Jackie it's like oh, Natalie Jackie Portman is so great I haven't seen Jackie oh she, it's so good she is like yeah I like would hands I would defend to like my dying day Natalie Portman is like one of the greatest actresses like in the history of humankind she's also like wicked smart got like yeah. a doctorate from Harvard speaks mm -hmm. all these languages um, this film works um, yeah it's like a coming of age and like showing 
you know, the passions of talent, like how to like, how do you come into your own? Um, but it also is just like, it kind of reminds me of like a Daniel Day-Lewis film where it's like, it's sort of just a showcase for like, this mm-hmm. person is just an amazing actor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's why I think it's good. Yeah. And I, I think like that being like it, it being a showcase for her also adds this like extra textual kind of thing that I think helps it a lot because you know, it, she had, a, like, I was reading about it, it's like, she and Mila Kunis, like, go through, like, this whole regimen to, like, make their bodies look like ballerinas' bodies. Mm-hmm. And there was a whole controversy about, like, the dance double, right? Mm-hmm. Where this is basically so it's like, oh, Benali Porn basically became a ballerina. We had to use a dance double for some scenes, but she basically became a ballerina. And that was, like, disputed by the dance double and became this whole thing. And it's, like, this really, like, interesting, like, moment of, like, life imitating art where you have the controversy about, like, who deserves the credit for this, like, ballet and who's actually the best. And that replicates in, like, the Oscar campaign for this movie. And, like, I, that's... It's it's kind of unfortunate because, like, people's reputations were harmed and all of that. But, like, it's also just kind of cool in a way. I don't know. At least looking at it, like, ten years in hindsight. Uh, I think this, this movie does some cool stuff of cinematography. Like, you see sort of, like the spinning and dancing from the dancer's point of view. Mm. Um, yeah. I think that the, the the way they sort of, like, coordinate the score of the ballet with stuff going on backstage during the final scene is really good. Um, and, yeah, just, like, a great movie about the cost of perfection. And, like, the idea of, like, it's about her coming to her own, but she has to destroy herself for that to happen. And, like, she thinks that's worth it. Like, that's the artist's price they pay. Yeah. Um, one thing I will say is I remember when Inglorious Bastards came out, and people got very up in arms because it ends with Brad Pitt saying, I think this may be my masterpiece, and we get a cut to the title card that says, written directed by Quentin Tarantino. It's like, here's Quentin Tarantino declaring this is masterpiece. This movie ends with, like, her, you know, falling from her swan's perch, Everybody comes, and you like the, all the sound you hear is like people clapping and saying like "Bravo," and then the title card says "Written and Directed by Darren Aronofsky," which is much more egregious to me than the Tarantino well, thing. Are her last words like "I was perfect" or something, something, something like, like that? that. Yeah. 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 Anyway, this is a good movie though. I can see it's it's. I think it's very pretentious actually, but it's good. <laughs> it does pretentious right. Like the the world of ballet seems so unappealing to me. Just not just because I don't like find the art form interesting, but also just like the people involved. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so like uncomfortable to look at. It is like, what yeah. people do to their bodies. Yeah, it's just one of those things that like I feel like there's a lot of like, but like when it comes to like sports and like physical activities, like people are like kind of built to be better than one than the other, just because of like oh if they have longer legs they would be better at running or like something like that. But I think ballet is something that like it's just like such a small subsection of people actually can like perform and like meet the physical standards of ballet yeah. like the traditional physical standard of ballet that it just is such like a cutting industry and then i think like this is like totally just a personal opinion but like introducing children to that at a young age is very scary to me yeah. um i have opinions on a lot of things like that it's very like child pageanty to me yeah, I get that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Right on. So, this movie... Um, well, the Academy Group about Natalie Portman. She did win Best Actress for this. It was also nominated for Editing Cinematography. Darren Aronofsky was nominated for Best Director and was nominated for Best Picture. Uh, let's move on, then, to The Fida, directed by David O. Russell. 
written by Paul Tamsey, Eric Johnson, Scott Silver, based on a story by Keith Dorrington, Paul Tamsey, and Eric Johnson, starring Mark Wahlberg, Christian Bale, Amy Adams, Melissa Leo, and Jack McGee. Uh, Lars, you love this movie, just like Kathleen loved 127 Hours. Um, yeah, this may be one of my least favorites <laughs> of all time. I saw it in theaters when it came out, and I hate this movie so much. It is like, so I'll, I'll say, I feel like this is the, the, I feel like we all kind of agree with this. This could be like a, this movie is maybe very well directed, very well acted, maybe the shots are great, maybe this, like everything's fine. I just do not give a fucking shit about anyone in this movie, with one exception, or, like, what <laughs> happens in this movie. Like, the plot bores the shit out of me. All the characters, except one, are very unlikable. Um, like, I don't... The subject matter I find so boring. And it's just, like... I'm just, like, sitting there groaning the entire time. I don't like this movie. Um, but, yeah, sure, maybe the acting's good. I really don't know. Um... There is one good thing about this movie. <laughs> what is it, Lars? It's Amy Adams. And whoever made her clothes in this movie should have won Best Costume Design. <laughs> so yeah, basically Amy Adams is, is dressed as if she was just shopped for at, a, at Abercrombie & Fitch. Yeah. For like teenagers clothing. Mm-hmm. And then they just put that on her body. Yeah, and she looks really good. <laughs> it's not creepy. This is like the only times I like could even bring myself to like care is when and he cared Amy, a lot. <laughs> is when Amy Adams was on screen um, I really have almost nothing to say I just don't like this movie I would like this movie if it was about okay so the first time I think we saw this movie we went like with our parents or just our dad to the movies just your dad and it's like a good going with your dad to the movies movie yeah where it's just like oh yes that it's, was a thing. It's very much... It's a boxing movie. It's a dad movie. Yeah, it's a dad movie. Um, I like boxing movies because I like fighting. Um, that being said, I did go to a wrestling match yesterday. I didn't like that. Um, but I would have really, really, really loved... It just seems like a... It, to me, it feels like they took the middle of a story and like made that a movie. Where there could have been so much at the beginning and end that could have been interesting. Or, like, I would have enjoyed this movie, I feel, if it was about the awful brother who's, like, the heroin addict. No, God. Crack addict. Crack addict, sorry. I, like, just because I think it would have been interesting to, like, watch a crack addict. I don't. If this movie were about Christian Bale, I would not have watched this. Like, Christian Bale's character in this movie is, like, one of the most... He's so insufferable. ...horrible, like things I've ever seen. He's truly insufferable, but I just think that, like, that would have been an interesting, like, to watch his coming to realization about how terrible he's become would have been interesting. And, like, to watch, like, the film crew that's making the documentary about him respond to, like, his shenanigans and stuff, I think that would have been really, like, interesting. And, like, his friend group who's, like, watching this happen as well. Um, But I feel like once, like, he goes to jail and he gets clean, he's like, okay, I'm fine now. And, it, like, that's not interesting to me. I realize I didn't explain the plot of this movie. Basically, Mark Wahlberg plays Mickey Ward, who's a boxer. Um, his trainer is his crack-addicted brother. His manager is his very controlling and micromanaging mother. Uh, there's conflict. He's trying to get a shot at the heavyweight title. Or not heavyweight title. At a boxing title. I don't know which weight. Um, <laughs> title. That's kind of... And he's from, like, a working-class community in Lowell, Massachusetts. And Amy um, Adams is his girlfriend. But yes. she's going to leave him for me. <laughs> so my opinion on this movie... 
I, I think part of the problem... I think this movie's fine. I think part of the problem with this movie, though, is that it is more interested in Christian Bale's character and Melissa Ligo's character than it is in Mark Wahlberg's character. Yeah. Agreed. Like, Mark, Christian Bale and Melissa Ligo both won Oscars for this movie. Both well-deserved. Both play very insufferable, terrible characters I would never want to meet in real life. But they both do a really good job. Um, this ruins Christian Bale. Like, I, <laughs> I need to have a break from Christian Bale because of this. But I, I, I think I think the problem is that like they can't find a way to make Mickey Ward an interesting character. He's not. He's kind of nothing in yeah, this movie. Yeah. He's just kind of like a guy around everything that revolves. Yeah, yeah. And like and we don't even know that he wants to be a fighter. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah. No, 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 yeah. but that's legitimate. <laughs> we don't. Who, who is the actual fighter? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I think that's a legitimate thing is because he does have a moment of self-doubt, right? It's like he loses that... He, he's supposed to do a fight in Vegas... Against one guy, the one guy um, poops himself. You know, he gets her. <laughs> no, he does. does. He? he can't. He can't go because he's got. He's got like the flu. Yeah. Um, so they 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 set up a guy who's like twenty pounds heavier than him. He obviously gets his ass kicked. Um, and then he's like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. They don't explore that I don't want to do this anymore part enough, right? Yeah. They explore why he wants to get away from his family because they all suck. And, like, this movie is so good at illustrating everything that people hate about Massachusetts. It's just, like, it's just, like, provincial, just, like, really just, like, the grossest people you'll ever meet, the, like, harshest accents you'll ever hear, just, like, this very insular, like, they hate outsiders. I think everyone who's not related to them is just, like, like, like the dregs of society when they, in fact, they are the dregs of society. Just like a terrible, terrible state. But anyway. Mike, they're going to come get us. I'm, I'm afraid of Massachusetts. They're all on crack. Uh, they're so aggressive. They'll throw Duncan at us. <laughs> but I, I, I all, and that's the thing, it's like, it feels so exact, like, like, over the top, the way they portray these people. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of like the King David Russell's thing at the beginning of the 2010s is because he made this Silver Lines playbook in American Hustle. So he just went Boston, Philly, New York. Let me find the most obnoxious people I can in these cities and make movies about them. Amy Adams also looks good in American Hustle. She does. <laughs> yes. Um, I have a problem. <laughs> you have a type. That's Amy Adams. It's just Amy Adams. That's true. But her accent is just so like... Her accent comes and goes a lot. It does. Yeah. I just really cannot does. find it attractive so, at any point. So, is this movie good? We've talked about, like, right. the pro- like maybe it's just, like, off and not necessarily my jam, our jam. Is it good? I think it's fine. It's fine. I, I don't... Th- I, what, I, what I think is good about it is it, it, it shows how terrible Massachusetts is. Um, and I, I, think the fight, I think the fight scenes are, like, actually really well executed. Um, that's the like flipping between like the TV yeah and the real right yeah so they good. they actually used the actual cameras that they used for the fights at the time mm. uh, which is like the late 90s early 2000s they used the actual cameras to make, shoot this movie and I thought it looked really cool mm-hmm. like even when they're coming out of the tunnel and like you know uh, they're doing like you know he's, uh, Christian Bale's holding up like the pads and Mike Ward's punching them like they even shot that in those cameras like I thought that's really cool I think that looks really cool like, the, the fights actually get me kind of, like, pumped up. I think that, from, like, a script perspective, it doesn't really, like I said, doesn't have a way to make Mickey Ward interesting. Um, it's re- it becomes a showcase for Christian Bale and Melissa Leo at some point, and they're just really insufferable. I don't think it shows enough 
Christian Bale redeems himself. I don't think he, like you said, Kathleen, I don't think he does enough to redeem himself, though. Yeah. yeah. It's like, why... It, it, it's, it never persuades you that he should be redeemed the way, outside that he gives him good boxing advice and he does get clean. Um, like, it, it doesn't persuade you. And, like, also, it doesn't, like, it doesn't redeem or even come close to redeeming the mother character, who I think is the worst character in the whole yeah. thing. She's very manipulative. She always takes Christian Bale's side, even though he clearly has, like, a... She's in denial about all his problems, right? Um, and just, like, they never, like, resolve that. And so it leaves a lot on the bone. I think it, it, it's a good boxing movie in that the boxing scenes are good, the training montages are cool, um, you know, punching stuff is cool. But I think everything around that is just kind of like... Eh, like, Mark Wahlberg's not a charismatic person. And he's just not that good in this. And they show, like, in the credits... The, like, actual two brothers. Yeah. Um, God, were they spot on. The one, <laughs> but, like... And presumably yeah. he's clean at this point. The guy who plays Dickie. He, he ended up getting arrested for, like, a couple DUIs and stuff. Okay. Um, yeah, he seems like a total tool. Still. Like, <laughs> yeah. even yeah, when he's old. He just seems so gross. Dickie Eklund. Um, like, if I were at a bar and he were there, I would leave. <laughs> I would not want to like I don't want to be anywhere near him yeah it's so annoying um Sports Illustrated called this the best sports movie of the 2010s I don't agree with that that's stupid um was it the only sports movie in the 2010s <laughs> I don't know I like Creed's a better movie than this yeah um, and I like there are people I like in that movie. yeah <laughs> Uh, so this, I think this movie's fine. I would not nominate. I think it does some interesting technical things. I think it has a script problem and it has a main character problem. Uh, yeah. I think it puts together like a compelling mise en scene, but I don't think it like. And just like there, there are bits that like if you watch in twenty ten, you wouldn't like. They use the song "How You Like Me Now" by the Heavy three separate so times, times in this movie, <laughs> which is way too much. Especially considering that that song was fucking ubiquitous like ten years ago. Um, Wasn't that in, like, a Cheez-Its commercial? It was in a Cheez-Its commercial. It was in, like, a car commercial. It was in, like, every commercial It was, possible. like, the Cheez-Its, like... Remember that time where they had, like, the little... They were, like, pocket-sized packs, and they were, like, the little mini Cheez-Its bites? Yes. Yeah, so... Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I... So, I, I think this movie's fine if... It, but it's not something I'll necessarily, like, seek out again. Um, I get why people liked it in the moment. I think in hindsight it's, like, worse. Yeah. I think it's bad. Okay. Well, do you have any other thoughts on this movie, Kathleen? No. Okay, well, it was nominated for editing, which I think is well-deserved. Uh, original screenplay, Amy Adams was nominated for Supporting Actress. Melissa Leo won Supporting Actress. Christian Bale won Supporting Actor. David O. Russell was nominated for Best Director and was nominated for Best Picture. But not Costume Design. <laughs> it was not. Uh, it is secondly a period piece, though, so, you know, maybe it should have been. Anyway, uh, next we're going to move on to a movie, a, li- a little scene movie called Inception. Uh, directed by Christopher Nolan, written by Christopher Nolan, uh, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Ken Watanabe, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Marion Cotillard, Ellen Page, Tom Hardy, Woo! Killian Murphy, Tom Berenger, and Michael Caine. Uh, this movie is about Leonardo DiCaprio's character and his crew, who are a crew of dream heist, dream heist people. <laughs> uh, they have technology that's never really explained. That allows them to enter other people's dreams, and they steal ideas. However, they get hired by Ken Watanabe because he wants them to plant an idea, or in other words, incept an idea into someone, this guy who's poised to inherit his father's uh, like energy conglomerate, um, and he wants them to plant the idea to dissolve the conglomerate, 
and this is all happening while the memory of Leonardo DiCaprio's dead wife is pursuing him through all these dreams. I hate when this happens. Me too. <laughs> um, Jeez. <laughs> who, who wants to go first? Uh, I'll go first. Okay. Um, so we've all seen this movie many times, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I could talk about this movie for hours, but I'm not going to do that. So I'm going to try and focus on like the actual film and like why it was nominated for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, This is Christopher Nolan's first movie nominated for Best Picture. Yes. Um, okay. The sound is really good. <laughs> The sound it, is like yes. very pervasive, mm-hmm. very well edited throughout the film. I have problems with the score, but yes, sure. The um, the sound editing, I mean, the most score was like one song. <laughs> no, there's a lot more. <laughs> well, there's there's the sequence at the end. The yeah, whole, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of music in this movie. Um, um, it's kind of hard to think where to start. The I, I think the editing and like the technical achievements in general are very very strong yeah um it looks amazing like it still looks amazing even though this movie's like 10 years old um the yeah the sound editing is amazing visuals are amazing the like things they are able to do with like the camera work and like how things look um look super real and it's like really well done and probably a lot more practical effects than we give it credit for Mm-hmm. I feel uh, like that whole isn't that whole fight scene a practical effect? Yeah, where they're spinning. Yeah, yeah, in a spinning hotel room. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, um, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, the uh, I actually think the script is really like the plot is actually really good, and I, I, I think it. I I don't know. It's such like it's hard to defend this movie when it's such like an internet favorite, which I feel like I often rail against. But it's just like really captivating, and like there are sequences that are just so like powerful, like when like everything's gone to shit, and like um, you know Arthur's getting thrown around, and the like hotel room is like spinning. It just looks so, and it's like flipping between that and like the folks in like the snow sequence and the folks in the car and the cars tumbling on the side so like boom 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 they're all like sequential it's like oh my god i get like chills every time or like when it's like the final wake up and like ellen page has to like she falls off the building when she's in the um the void or whatever they call the bottom layer limbo the limbo um and she like falls off the layer then she wakes up in the snow layer then she wakes up um in the hotel and then she wakes up in the car and the car hits the water and it's like is like so good. It's so good. Um, Tom Hardy is maybe the only good actor in this movie. Yeah. Well, or, or good at acting in this movie. He, he gives the most interesting performance. Yeah. The problem with performance-wise is that ninety percent of the dialogue is exposition. Yes. And it's necessary because no one would understand what the hell's going on in this movie if it wasn't that. And yeah. it does help actually move the plot forward, but it doesn't give a lot of characters a lot of room to emote. Yeah. Outside from Leonardo DiCaprio in the scenes about his ex-wife. And even then, that's still very expository. Yeah. Right. Um, like, I, I'm trying to talk or about... Or Tom Hardy gets to be, like, a charming rogue. Yeah. Yeah, and he's... Um, I mean, it, yeah. I mean, in, yeah. Um, I'm trying, like, not to, like, nitpick the individual plot points, because that's, like, I feel like that's been done to death, and that's not really the point of this, because it was nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. Um, but there's, like, weird moments. Like, there's the kiss scene. We talked a lot about the kiss scene where Arthur and Ariadne... Mm-hmm just like kiss randomly in the hotel and it's like the least 
It's like the least sexual thing I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> they have zero chemistry. Net, net zero, zero sexual. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, negative sexuality right there. Yeah, um, uh, yeah I'll start there. It's, it's a very, like... It's a very, like, stone-faced movie. It's very dour. But it's also just, like, a thrill ride. It's, like... It's kind of like Martin Scorsese got in, like, trouble when he called, like, Marvel movies earlier, or in 2019, he called them, like, theme park rides. Um, and Inception's, like, kind of a theme park ride, um, but it's, like, a really good theme park ride. But it's also, like, it has depth to it, too. But I just think of, like, how... It made me realize just how chopped up I feel like a modern action, a lot of modern action movies are. Like, there's one that one scene when they're, like, in, like, the first, the first layer... Um, like the city, yeah. yeah, and and the car has to like, like do like a K turn basically, mm. and like that's like one shot, and yeah. it's not like a very long shot, but like I feel like today if you shoot that scene, there's like five different cuts in it, mm. and like I, he kind of lets his camera linger a little bit in certain action scenes, and just kind of lets like what's going, like it it feel it just more it's a more interesting kind of like style of action movie, as opposed to like the super chopped up like. Jason Bourne, or even, like, Marvel-style yeah. action scene. Yeah. Um, so it's really cool in that regard. Probably because it's, like, very, like, practical effects. Yeah, It's, yeah. like, Marvel movies is, like, zero. Yeah. It's all yeah. green. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's just a really neat movie. I feel like if you're a person around our age who cares about movies, like, this was, like, an important movie in your life. Yeah. yeah. I feel like, can I say my yes. piece now? I feel like this is one of those movies that, like, is really, like, obviously really good. I think it's one of those movies that, like, again, I was 14 when this came out, mm. and it was one of those things that, like, was the equalizer. Like, no matter who you were or, like, who you were talking to, you could agree that this was a great movie. And I think it was one of those things that, like, at that age, like, you could, like, I don't know if you had the words for it, but you could recognize that, like, the cinematography's awesome. The editing's awesome. The music's awesome. Like... Like, the color palette's amazing. Like, how they play, how every scene, like, every layer gets its own color palette and everything. And you helps you, like, distinguish worlds based on just that alone. And I think it was one of those things that, like, this is the first time people were like, wow, this is, like, a good, this is what a good movie is, you know? Like, it was all technically, like, beautiful. I think, but, like, I have to say, like, every time I watch it, I'm a little bit more disappointed. Because I start pulling out things that are just, like, to not my taste. And I think a huge part of it is that, like, so many, so much of the dialogue and relationships are exposition. And it's because, like, they have to do that. Yeah, as Michael said, like, they don't actually let characters build. And that, for me, is disappointing. Because I'm someone who really likes character-driven movies. And I remember, like, I have watched this movie so many times, and every single time I am, like, so disappointed in the lack of chemistry between, like, Arthur and Ariana's kiss because I'm just like in the perfect movie for me there would be more of like a fun like tension between them you know mm, yeah. um in the perfect for movie for me there'd be so much more Tom Hardy and like I honestly out of all the characters you get I'm the least interested in like Dom's I'm the least interested he's, in he's such a sad boy he's he such is. a sad boy I don't like his wife and I think like you know we're told that his wife was a great person in real life mm. but because we only get like his evil dream sequence one it's like well why do I care if you're sad about her she seems like a bitch you know mm. and so it's like there are so many other characters I wish 
Like, I wish this was a fun, like, again, to make it, like, a me kind of movie. I wish it was kind of, like, had more dynamic of, say, like, a Marvel movie where everybody's on an equal footing, you know? Like, there are some characters that are obviously more, like, main characters than others, but everybody kind of gets equal attention, and we, like, fall in love with all characters equally. And this movie just doesn't give you room for that because mm -hmm. of how it has to build such a complex idea and, like, make it make it so that the audience can keep up. And then also because, like, because there's so much, so much exposition, I feel like I actually get lost in it. Like, I'm always forgetting, like, who's dreaming and who's the, who's building the dream and who's the dreamer. And I feel like they want you to be more clear on that, but I just never am. And it's, like, exhausting to, like, keep track of that stuff. Yeah. I think it... Yes. But I do think it does it well, though. I think it does it as well as it It takes be. you, like, five times to figure out what actually is going on. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, you were calling this movie The Great Equalizer. Yeah. Um, I So we're coming off the heels... This is what I was trying to build to, but I forgot. We were coming off, we're coming off the heels this year of Avatar, which is, like, this worldwide phenomenon, mm -hmm. top-selling movie of all time until Avengers Endgame, of course. Um, shout out. Um, I, like, like, Inception... I, I was, like, the, the marketing scheme was, like, amazing. Mm -hmm. Like, the entire world knew that this movie... I was in, like, Japan, I think, the summer before it came out. And, like, buildings were plastered with, like, like in Japanese characters, like, Inception. The thing is, like, no one really knew what it was about. Right. Which was really cool. And it's, it was just, like, so universal. And everyone in the world, like, saw this movie. And it just, it, like, holds up. Mm -hmm. um, like, yeah, we can find little, like, things to pick at it about... But it is just like it's like a this amazing blockbuster nominated for best picture that like we still talk about and everyone in the world has like seen this movie to this day, mm. um, and it's and it's you know we've been talking about like Marvel movies and like blockbusters um, and how this is like better than them but it's still very much like a blockbuster yeah um, and it's like you know there's the concept that Michael has taught me about of poptimism <laughs> in the musical sense. It's like, it's like films like this that kind of make me a poptimist in the like film sense mm -hmm. is I believe that there's a way that like you can take what is a blockbuster and take what is a good movie and like a good film and like put them together and make it like universally like pervasive for like the rest of time. Um, and it's like we could spend hours talking about like the different levels of the dreams, like thinking about the interpretation. It's like, is this Christopher Nolan's like ode to directing? Mm -hmm. Or there's that whole theory, which I definitely subscribe to that like it's like everyone in the role has a role in a movie and this is just his movie about making movies um but here we are like talking about this and we could have an entire podcast about just inception <laughs> it's like I, it just works like yeah. I, I just feel like this is a movie that like, took the entire world by storm and we're still talking about it and it was original yes like, name another yes. original it's... blockbuster that's done this right. since yeah. you can't right. isn't uh, there like that like podcast sorry that's like it's true mm -hmm. but isn't there that podcast where they watch something ridiculous like they watched like um, they I don't know. they watched like some bad movie like some bad movie like forever. every day for a year yeah and they talked about a different scene it was like I think they did one of them for like um, one of the Sex and the City movies <laughs> but I feel like you could do that with this Inception and be like a legit like you would legitimately find new things to talk about every time and it wouldn't be a joke comedy podcast right you know? mm -hmm. like every yeah every time I watch this yeah it becomes probably a little more disappointing but I also like pick up on a like I did not realize that the entire snow sequence is like an ode to James Bond mm -hmm. um that's like a whole homage there mm -hmm. um 
There's just, there's so much, and it's, it is long, but it never feels, I don't think it actually feels very long. It moves really well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that's like the editing. The editing is so good. Uh, yeah. I think yeah. like, this is like, I don't often notice editing, but I feel like the more I watch this movie, the more I'm like, oh, this movie is literally built on editing. Yeah. Yeah. And it would not work so if well. it wasn't yeah. done well. And it's um, like how it plays with like the time and how things mm-hmm. are moving slowly and how the sound is stretched and compressed mm-hmm. is just very, very well done. Yeah. I do think, yeah, kind of what you were speaking to earlier about the characterization, where it's like, you know, I, I like I think when I think of Inception, I think of like Interstellar, and it's like both you have these sort of like mind bending concepts, but I th- and like both it's like you also have the central American male character who's trying to resolve some like emotional wound, but I feel like Inception does the emotional wound part better than Interstellar. I actually think Interception is a better movie than Interstellar. I feel like I know Lars is an Interstellar fan. I, 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 I am. I, I, th- I think Interstellar I is. Um, I don't like space. I, I think the acting in Interstellar is better. Um, and I think there, uh, oh, like on average, sure, there are, there are weak performances and strong performances <laughs> in both. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I think Interstellar kind of shoots. Um, <laughs> I think it's Christopher Nolan shooting for the stars and like missing a little. Yeah. Whereas, um, you know, it's his biggest. It's his most. Um, uh, Probably his most expensive. Right, but it, it's like his most. Um, I don't know. It, it, yeah, it's like he. It was like his most like visionary. Yeah, and like he just kind of fell a little low. Whereas this feels very down to earth, even though it's like super. Like, yeah. Visual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like because it, at its core, it's just a heist movie. Right, and they're and all just in a plane cabin. Who doesn't love a heist movie? Yeah, it's my my thing. Um, does does the top fall at the end? Oh, God. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's I, in real life. It, it definitely falls. Yeah. yeah. Um, I know you don't like the song at the end, but I really, I, I really <laughs> like the ending sequence where it's like they're like, Mr. Cobb. Sure. Yeah. Welcome home. Yeah. They yeah, to like yeah. walk past everyone at the airport yeah. and they just what like song? nod. What? What song? It's called Time. Like this is, it's not like a like a pop song. It's like a school. Like the. Why don't you like it? I just don't think it's good. Oh, okay. Well, anyway. Can you sing it for me? <laughs> no, we I can play I, it on piano. I just for think you. it's the most like gen- it's the most generic, just like orchestral swell. Like, but it bu- it yeah. builds and it builds and it builds and then it gets very soft right at the end. Mm-hmm. I like it. I think it's a good song. Um, but I think that sequence is like, yes, yeah. it's, it's very like solemn and very just like we did it and they they can't yeah. speak. They're just like making eye contact and like nodding. Mm-hmm. It's very like it just. It's hits. like the end of Ocean's Eleven when they're eating the hamburgers. <laughs> no, when they're when they're watching the. Um, Fountains. The fountain, the Bellagio, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. If I had to pick my least favorite part in Inception, it's the just well that, <laughs> and just the 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 influence it had on like all the scores in the future, which became like so percussive and bassy, mm. and it just became too much. It's like there are three like trends I've noticed in like music scores the past like say ten years or so. It's that. It's the slowed down, creepy version of popular <laughs> songs, which I also hate. And there's one I like where if you, I feel like if you watch a lot of trailers now, they're very like string based, and it's very like sort of like solo string based. And uh, if you watch the trailer for um, what's it called, Civil War, kind of has that. Yeah, it but like this, the score for like Midsummer, um, mm. where it's, it's very these sort of very like scratchy strings. Um, I really like that though. Anyway. Inception, we're all Inceptioned out. 
I mean, I could go for a lot longer, but let's not. We've gone through all, all the levels. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it, it won visual effects. It won sound mixing. It won sound editing. It was nominated for original score. It won cinematography. Nominated for art direction. Nominated for original screenplay. Nominated for best picture. Uh, let's wrap things up now with The Kids Are All Right. Uh, directed by Lisa Cholodenko. Written by Lisa Cholodenko and Stuart Blumberg. Starring Annette Benning, Julianne Moore, Mark Ruffalo, Mia Wasikowska, and Josh Hutcherson. Story of... Josh Hutcherson. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Josh. You just say his name and people start laughing. Uh, he knows what he did. He does. Isn't he, like, very short? I don't he know. He looks very short. He looks very short. He's also just, like, quintessential teenage kid yeah. in a lot of movies, you know? Yeah. He's 5'7". Yeah. And I feel like he he's, like... In the Hunger Games, people are always just like, wouldn't you go with the Hemsworth instead of him? Oh, yeah. Oh, I forgot what he was in the Hunger Games. I totally forgot he was in the Hunger Games. Anyway, um, so the kids are all right. It's about Julianne Moore and Annette Benning um, are a couple who have two children um, from the same sperm donor. Um, and uh, Mia Wasikowska's character turns 18, which means she now has the legal right to contact her sperm donor, not her sperm donor, her biological father, which Josh Hutcherson kind of was like, please do this because I can't because I'm not old enough. They do. It's Mark Ruffalo, who's this groovy dude who <laughs> has an organic farm. And, um, and an organic farm table restaurant. Yeah. And, and they sort of grow closer to him, which concerns their parents, especially Annette Benning, which leads to tension um, and eventually a whole big to-do. Uh, in their relationship. And the one parent starts sleeping. Yeah, Julianne Moore starts sleeping with Mark Ruffalo. This is a movie about Michael's life. I love it. <laughs> sure. I mean, what? It's just, no, I'm just, I'm, it's just like, has this ever happened to you? No. This has never happened to anyone. This is a very weird story. But I really, so I, that that's what I think is, this is why, part of the reason I think it's not me for Best Picture is that it'd be very easy to make a movie about a lesbian couple and who have children, the children make the sperm donor, and it being focused on the novelty of, like, a lesbian couple and a sperm donor, but it's not. It's like, the point isn't that they're lesbians. The point is that this is a unique, this is a novel situation, um, but them being lesbians only has so much to do with, like, that, that makes the novelty possible, but that's not the point of it, Right. The, this is not. This is a movie. A, this is a movie that happens to be about lesbians, not a movie about like is lesbianism, lesbians? I yeah. guess. And I think that's part of what might have made it like so popular back in the day is that like it it, it adds this extra shade of it, where it's it's not just like let let's make a movie about the relationships, which is about like just an interesting thing that could happen because of the relationship. I don't know. Yeah, it's a little weird, though. There's some weird <laughs> I like, parts. I don't know how I feel. I don't think I like this movie. I kind of feel like this is a very Kathleen movie. It's about people and their dynamics. Yeah. Yeah, that's like the only thing I like about it. I don't like any of the dynamics, though. Yeah. My favorite character of all time might be from this movie. Clay, the best <laughs> friend. He tries to pee on a dog's head. He's like, wouldn't it be funny if we whipped our dicks out and peed on this dog? He's like, no! Who the hell would think of that? And he like skateboards off the roof. Just like, what a guy. I think that's like what I hate about this movie are there just things that are like 
that's the thing that pushed you? Like, that's the thing that, like, made you change? Because it's like, let's just focus on that for a second. So Josh Hutcherson's character has this friend, Clay, <laughs> who is like, nobody thinks he's a good guy. Like, nobody thinks he's a good kid, because he's not. He does dumb shit. He's, like, mean to Josh Hutcherson. Whatever. <laughs> like, he's mean to Josh. Like... And he, like, he's done stupid things where he, like, skateboards off of the roof and, like, breaks, almost breaks his arm. Does a lot of drugs. Does a lot of drugs. Like, snorts Tylenol and things like that. (laughs) And the thing that, like, pushes... Where's Clay's movie? Yeah, he's (laughs) never coming down on. Is Clay alive by the end of this movie? (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) But, like, the thing that pushes, like, Josh Hutcherson's character to the edge is, like, he's gonna pee on a dog. Where it's, like, he's endangered himself thousands of times but the thing is like the dog i so i think that's part of like what is a little bit of a problem with this movie for me is that like there's like a tonal problem yeah where like (laughs) it because like towards the end it's like a very like emotionally like raw story about a family that's on the brink of like disintegration yeah it gets pretty dark um some scenes yeah and um but there's also like, the comic relief feels almost sort of like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, unbalanced? Where, like, yeah. it, uh, it, it almost goes a little too far into, like, the peon dog realm. Yeah. Um, Is that supposed to be comic relief? Because it's very, very funny. But it's right. also just very, very weird. It actually yeah. feels very out of place. I'm like, this yeah. is my thing, too, is, like... <laughs> We're getting so hung up on this... It's kind of the most okay, rememberable part of the movie. It is the most rememberable. And this is my thing, too, where, like, I feel like you're supposed to, like, you know, his moms, like, Josh Hutchinson's moms are telling him, like, don't hang out with this kid. We don't like him. We're concerned. Well, they don't tell him that, but they're just, like, we're just, like, concerned. They're, like, what's do, what does he give you? Mm-hmm. Which is a very, yeah. I think, a very mature parent. It's a very, like, story. they're actually very mature parents, yeah. I will say. But I think that, like, you're supposed to kind of believe that, like, Josh Hutcherson changes his tune about Clay after talking to Mark Ruffalo's character. Like, I think he, like, sees what, like, a mature man looks like. Yeah. yeah. And he, like, draws that. But also, I don't think, like, I feel like even if he never met Mark Ruffalo's character and Clay was like, I'm gonna pee on this stuff, (laughs) he would have been like, no, that's really dumb. Yeah. Like, I don't think that, like, that's the thing. Like, if he was going to play, like, do drugs again, or if he was going to put, like, do another dangerous stunt, I think that he would be able to separate, like, this is not a mature thing to do. But, like, <laughs> who would think of that? Like, I would not, that would not be my first thought. Like, why that? <laughs> because it's like, they see the dog, and Josh Hutcherson is like, oh, doggy, and he goes, let's be on a tail. on the dog. <laughs> like, why, What? There's so many other things you could do with this dog. Like, that's so... <laughs> it's so random. <laughs> Alright, and that's my thought on this movie. Let's wrap it up. Um, I, I think that... Okay. I'll try to move on. I think there are some good... Um, I think, like, there's the scene where Annette Benning figures it out. She, like, goes in the bathroom. She finds Julianne Moore's hair. Um, They're having dinner at Mark Ruffalo's house. Yeah. yeah. Um, and she, like, figures it out, and there's just this, like, very tonal shift, and she gets so dark, and it, like, sits on her, the camera, like, sits right in her face for, like, a minute, and just watches her, like, you don't see anyone else, you just watch her, like, hearing everything around her, I think that's really yeah. good, mm-hmm. um, is you just see her face just, like, changing and, like, processing, um, and it's, like, really dark and, like, very gripping, um, that's probably the best part of this movie, 
Other, would, other than the dog part. <laughs> like, <laughs> I feel like this movie had potential mm-hmm. if they changed the tone of it. Yeah. If it was, like, a, like a dramatic family, like, because it is an interesting, like, you could have, like, interesting things could happen. Like, emotional things could happen. And they do for, like, the shortest period of the movie. And it doesn't resolve any, like, I don't know. It's just, like, they they bring Mia Vashakovska to college. Yeah. And then they're driving home. And Josh Hutchinson's like, hey, you guys shouldn't break up because you're too old. Yeah. And, like, it doesn't really... And it's like Josh Hutcherson never seems phased. With what's going on. By anything. By anything. <laughs> um, Other than the dog. He really likes that dog, though. <laughs> um, it's very... So, I, I think it tries to be, like, a modern, like, family dynamic story. Which I think is, like, good. It's kind of, like, a first... Probably the first, like, film I can think of that's, like, here's this, like... It's a very modern relationship, right? It's, like, this is this lesbian couple. They have a sperm donor. Like, this is all, like, a fairly modern, new nuclear family. Mm-hmm. Um, I think bringing in the sperm donor makes it non, like... Like, I, I think it becomes, like, not normal. But the, the like, sperm donor and the lesbian couple part is, like, very normal. The first part of the movie is very yeah. normal. And the kids are like, oh, well, who was my dad? Da-da-da. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it does that. It, like, tries to do that and does that pretty well. And I think it just becomes weird over time when Mark Ruffalo enters. And, like, that becomes a little less realistic. It's like, mm-hmm. would they start sleeping with the sperm donor? Would they, like... Why and would he still like, live in that town? <laughs> like, it's a movie about lesbian that's lesbianism that's not about lesbianism but I also think it cheapens lesbianism and like those identities because it's like she leaves or she cheats on her wife with a man so it's like she's bisexual is she bisexual I mean apparently I but then the reason that she says she can't like when Mark Ruffalo calls her and he's like we can make this work we'll get like married she's like I'm gay like I don't want to be with you I I, I don't know I I think that sort of like it's a spectrum yeah you know And I, I think that it, it it tried to sort of like it it's it tries to speak to sort of like the 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 pitfalls and sort of like um, unexplored possibilities almost of like an untraditional family dynamic because that's kind of like part of the tension right is that Mark Ruffalo is basically becoming like the kids clearly want to hang out with Mark Ruffalo more than they want to hang out with Annette Benning. and that's what makes her kind of like upset is yeah, that like she's lame as fuck <laughs> but, that, but that's another part of the tension <laughs> yeah. is that she's just very like we're like you know she's a doctor she's a professional and her wife is just kind of like this flighty um would-be she, architect who's had a couple of failed businesses in the past and Mark Ruffalo is this groovy organic farmer guy who runs like a farm to table restaurant he's like the cool dude and so there's a tension between like the cool people and the accomplished people and like maturity and immaturity um and that kind of like, like Mark Ruff, and that that's like Mark Ruffalo thinks that he wants. It's like there's a conflicting thing with Mark Ruffalo because he meets the kids, he meets you know his biological children, and he realizes he wants to grow up a little bit. But then he carries on this affair with Julianne Moore, which is like very immature, yeah. and he, he like he's learning from. He's like, let's do it, let's just like do it, let's yeah. let's do the thing. She's like, I can't do that. I have like this family, and I'm gay. And he shows up to their house at night. Um, 
I mean, it's kind of about responsibility. It's like the kids don't like their parents because they're the ones responsible. It's yeah. like, of course, yeah. Mark Ruffalo is more fun, and of course, he thinks they're fun. He has no, there is nothing mandating any of them to be together. He's like the cool aunt, you know. Right, like you have like spoil I, I, the kids send them home. Right, and like of course, I'm gonna have a better time with like my aunt who's taking me to the mall than I am with my like dad if he's like upset with me. Yeah, and like disappointed by my friend Clay, and he keeps peeing on my dog. <laughs> <laughs> So I think that I think it handles that well, and Mark Ruffalo has to like you know like adjust um, and like kind of figure that out. It's like, oh, does he actually want kids, or does he just like? It's like having a friend who has a dog as opposed to having the dog. Yeah, yeah. and then having a friend Clay who has a dog. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Ruffalo's performance in this is good. <laughs> But it's also just like I hate it so much. Like, I'm gonna be real. It, it's, it's, it's a little weird. It's also just like a if you're doing like an SNL like imitation of Mark Ruffalo, it'd be this. Yeah. And also like, was he on muscle? Like he just like he seems very like on drugs. Yeah, he's <laughs> yes, so on drugs. He seems very California. Do we know where in California the six place? I don't know. Must be southern. It feels I like, feel like probably like, around like. Like probably like around Santa Barbara or something. I feel like it's like that. Eastern. California. It's in the Los Angeles area, according to Wikipedia. Oh, okay. mm-hmm. um, um, he feels very Californian in a yeah. bad way. Like my partner was from California, and the first time I spoke with him, I'm like, "Oh, you're from California." Like I can tell by the way you talk, but he doesn't act like that. <laughs> the, the he shows up to this blue. It's like broke my brain. He shows up. <laughs> To their this this I would say like the climactic scene of the movie right, which um, is you know uh, sort of like Annette Benning finds out Julianne Moore has been cheating on her with Mark Ruffalo. She banishes Julianne Moore to the couch, um, and it's basically just sort of like this malaise period of like they're they're kind of like split up but not. And the um, kids don't give a fuck. No, they care. Yeah. They're just like shocked. numbed and deadened by it. Which I, is how. We've all gone through divorces here, okay? <laughs> which I, I found to be an accurate representation of it personally. Um, uh, Josh Hutch just doesn't seem pretty okay to me. But he's. I don't know. He's. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think, think he's so. okay. Yeah. Okay. His friend Clay tried to pee on a dog. <laughs> <laughs> but then Mark Ruffalo shows up. I don't like to try and make it better or whatever. And he's wearing like a leather jacket and like a black and a white t-shirt, and it's at night, and he's standing on a porch on like a white porch, and it looks exactly like the and he he has like you know kind of like olive-ish skin and black curly hair, and it looks exactly like the cover of Bruce Springsteen's Darkness on the Edge of Town, which is one of my favorite albums of all time. I was like, this is weird. And, like, there, there's this scene, like, where it introduces his character, and it's, like, he has sex with, like, the waitress at his restaurant, and he's just hanging out, <laughs> wearing a jean jacket and jeans, but no shirt. <laughs> and I'm like, he looks like a white Lenny Kravitz, but I just realized Lenny Kravitz is black Bruce Springsteen as far as clothing goes. Like, this, this like, changed my perspective on a lot of stuff. Um, so, and like, honestly, like if, if he had a different voice and was maybe a little younger, Mark Ruffalo, Bruce Springsteen biopic, I could see it happening. Biopic, um, yeah. I, okay. so, oh, wait, we're getting a lot of mileage out of this movie. I was gonna, so there's the one, the other scene I like, um, that kind of handles the, like, who's really responsible is like, he like shows up in their driveway and I can't remember, it's like one of the... Uh, Annette Benning or Julia Moore goes out and like you got a motorcycle you can't like you can't be <laughs> bell already rang you can't be on the motorcycle with the kids um, and he's like oh you know I bet she'd like 
I don't remember what he says, but it's like, he basically tells them how to raise their kids. It's like, oh, I bet they'd be, like, way more chiller with, like, homework if you, like, yeah. did this. And they're like, excuse me? Mm-hmm. Like, and that, but, it, like, that's sort of the, he has no idea. Like, yeah. he, he, it's very easy to give advice, but you have, like, paid zero money to these children, have not raised them their entire yeah. life. And I, I, like, Mark Ruffalo is kind of, like, the bad guy. Yeah, for sure. Other than Clay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, can, like, can we talk about the friends for a real hot sec? Okay, so we already talked about Clay. Oh, yeah, Zoisha Mamet. Of Girls and Mad Men fame. Oh. oh, yeah. So, we talked about Clay. Uh, he's yeah. a thing. He's, like, an okay side story. But then, like, with other chicks, the daughter has friends. Mia Zoshikovsky. Like, what was the point oh, of yeah. her friends? It was, yeah. like, she was friends with this guy and this girl who was in later in um, Girls... And the girl is just like, oh, like I want to have sex with everybody. <laughs> sex so great. And then she keeps on pressuring like the daughter and the the guys to have like to hook up. Yeah. And they clearly don't want to. But then she goes and kisses them at the party. Yeah, because I, I think she's like... trying to like act out and be mature. Hmm. I, I kind of feel like the plot device for the girl, the girlfriend, the friend who's a girl. Is just to tell us and try to convince us that Mark Ruffalo is hot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I'm not sure I buy. Mm-mm. He's the least bangable Avenger. There is like yeah, a, okay, but like <laughs> For sure. But he's also dorkier in the Avengers. Or I feel like in this movie, I feel like if I'm at a restaurant, say I'm at a farm to table restaurant in the LA area, and I saw him like across the bar, but he's a cute waiter, you know, like he's a cute. I would hear him talk, and I would be like, in no, no world. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I think part of it is maybe, I think it's these kids looking for direction and looking for, um, guidance. And it's like, you get, uh, Josh Hutchinson's kind of pressured into, like, doing drugs and, like, watching porn with Clay. Gay porn. (laughs) And all of that. And then you have Mia Vashakovska a name I love saying, is, is kind of, like, pressured into being more sort of, like, libidinous um, by Zoisha Mamet. Uh, and then they try and find guidance from Mark Ruffalo and he screws it up. But, like, again, I don't really know what this is all supposed to build to. Yeah. I don't... It feels like... It's, like, there's some good ideas wrapped in here. I just, like, the execution is I not don't like, I feel like nothing really changes from beginning to end. But, like, maybe that's the point. Is like, life is really just this, like, collection of, like, weird experiences and, like, weird family friends and, like, stuff. And, like, maybe you're looking for direction, but that's not really how you... Like, you're not going to find it from someone. You're going to find it from yourself. That's beautiful, and, Thank you. <laughs> um, and it's, like, I think that it's, like, kind of, like, we're saying it's, like, a little unreasonable and there's some weird stuff in it. But it is also, like, kind of real in that it doesn't necessarily resolve. Yeah. This is just life unfolding for these people. And that's kind of how it is. There's not necessarily, like, a major takeaway that's like, oh, because of this, I know exactly how my life is going to go from here on out. It's kind of just a mess. It's just things colliding and smashing and peeing. (laughs) And that's life. (laughs) I guess so. I don't buy that. Like, I buy that as, like, a way to make sense of this movie, but I don't buy that as an intention of the movie. Uh, maybe I'm giving it too much. Maybe I'm giving a movie about a guy peeing on a dog's head too much credit. <laughs> That's not the movie's about. It is about that, Michael. Everything in the Name movie revolves around that. Okay, well, I, I think we've done this. We talked about the movie, I think, way more than we were expecting to. Yeah. But uh, it was nominated for original screenplay. Julianne Moore was nominated for supporting actress. 
Mark Ruffalo for supporting actor, Annette Benning for best actress, and it's nominated, of course, for best picture. Why is she the title? Yeah, it, it's it's category fraud. It. It's it's like when because they're they're both they're co-leads, right? Yeah. yeah, and they 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 don't want them to compete against each other, so the like. People running the campaign are just like we'll we'll make one supporting one one lead. I would I would probably I would say Julianne Moore is more. Yeah. I feel like she's. Built I, I will say I don't usually like Julianne Moore. I, this is the most I've liked her in a movie. Yeah, I don't know. I don't like her character's annoying, but I think this is the, her, the performance I like the best. I feel like she's usually tends to the over, the melodramatic. But I also feel like, like they the make hours. Yeah, very melodramatic. I don't remember that movie. Oh, that's the one that I liked that nobody else liked. Yeah, yeah. I did like that movie. I also feel like they just, whoever did, speaking of costume design, they made them very stereotypical lesbian. I guess, but it's directed by a lesbian. That's, so. I don't know. They did, though. You're right. That made me a little uncomfortable. Okay. Well. I don't, like, not that much. Not as much as the dog. Also, a reminder of how terrible male haircuts were in, like, 2010. Sure. Like, Josh Hutchinson's yeah. friend. Yeah. It's real bad hair. Clay. Um, Clay, yes. <laughs> Never forget. R.I.P. <laughs> R.I.P. <laughs> Clay. <laughs> Rest in pee on dog's head. Uh, okay. Well, that does it for this episode. Of course, because we only talk about the first five movies from this year, um, we're not going to give out Best Picture just yet, but I will, as I did in our uh, prior, in, in our part one for 2009, uh, Who? What, what's the leader in the clubhouse so far? Of these five movies, which one do you have sort of, like, tabbed as a potential Best Picture winner. Between Inception and Black Swan. One of the two. Yeah. Okay. I'm in the same boat. I think I'm currently leading leaning Inception. I think I am, too. I'm in the same boat. I think I'm leading Black Swan. Oh. So, uh, that's that. But uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Wait, what do we listen to next? What are we watching next? Oh, well, I'm... I'm yeah. Okay, go through your spiel. I'm sorry. I forget how I, I just forget what we do, what we do, which one we do in what order. Um, thanks for listening uh, to this episode of the Real Life Oscar Challenge um, our next episode will be part 2 of 2010 um, where we will be watching The King's Speech The Social Network Toy Story 3 True Grit and Winter's Bone I want to watch none of those that's not true I don't want to watch two of those True Grit's a great movie yeah True Grit's really good I don't want to watch Toy Story well too I bad ha- I hate be prepared I hate Toy Story I hate the entire franchise why I just, I just, like, there's nothing about it that's appealing to me. Well, anyway. I've been, like, follow us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iTunes. Um, I've been Mike Levito. You can find me on Twitter at Ameramike and Letterboxd at Levito. I've been Lars Emerson. You can find me at Letterboxd at Lars Emerson. I've been Kathleen Levito. You can find me on Instagram two places now. Uh, first is Rise to the Sun for poetry and fashion photography, and second is Parody of a Queen for just, like, everyday fashion stuff. Um, you can find us all on thepostwriter.com, where we write things, uh, and also where these podcasts are posted as well. You can um, also listen to our other podcasts, A Thing Like That, a podcast, a podcast about Mad Men, which Kathleen and I do, and Running Mates, a podcast about vice presidents, which Lars and I do. Um, Check it out. That's all I have. Thanks for listening, and tune in to our next episode when it comes out. Bye.